The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 318. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You'll find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you sign up. And those that do enroll do get the best deals on forthcoming courses. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can buy your Brian McClanahan Show logo gear there. You can get that or your Think Locally, Act Locally apparel. It's great stuff. And, of course, it advertises the show or advertises a slogan of the show, which is just as important. And you also throw a few pennies the way of the show when you buy something. And of course, go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. That is also a way to support the show. Uh, don't forget to share it around on social media. Also, rate it wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great way to spread the audience and grow the audience organically. And that's what we're looking for more than anything else is organic growth. Now, it's been a while since I've been on. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I was involved in getting my newest class out at McClanahan Academy. So if you're listening to this, it's July 3rd, 2020. I've got my newest class out, The Founding Fathers. You're going to want this one. It's timely. We've got July 4th coming up. It's Secession Weekend, American Secession Weekend. So I've got The Founding Fathers course for sale on... Uh, well now and also at a discount now. So, I mean, you can get it. You get my email list. You're going to get the links to the sale. You're going to want that. So you get a little discount right now. Plus, I'm discounting my other courses as well. So make sure you're on that email list because for the next week, you're going to be getting emails from me with the links to the discounts. So you're going to want that. And it's an awesome course. And of course, because it is Secession Weekend, I thought, well, let's talk about Secession a little bit. Now, we all see what's going on in American society right now. I mean, we are living in the most bizarro world possible. And it's, it's bizarre. Down is up, up is down, right is left, left is right. I mean, we don't even know what's happening. It seems like every day there's something else being canceled or some other uh, woke program out there that's going to alter American society and make everything all better. And, of course, all this started with Confederate monuments Confederate symbols. We knew it wasn't going to stop there. Anyone with half a brain, anyone with one brain cell knew it wasn't going to stop there, except for the neoconservatives who have said, uh, well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, these things should have come down. Now, we've had a couple of them say I was wrong about this. I thought it would stop with Confederate monuments. Clearly it's not. Now Mount Rushmore is racist. Uh, it has to go. The national anthem has to go. Everything has to go, right? I mean, it's we're canceling everything, and that's the intent. Okay, this is this is truly the intent of this movement on the left. It's not about race in reality. It's about canceling Western civilization. 
It's about starting over from year zero, just as they did in the French Revolution, just as they did in the Khmer Rouge did in Cambodia, just as they did in Soviet Russia. I mean, this is what it's all about. Starting over from year zero with the People's Revolution, and we've got to get rid of anything and everything that reminds them of a traditional past. And, of course, it starts with the low-hanging fruit, but eventually, as they gain steam, because you see, uh, we give here, we give here, we give here, well, give us this, give us this. We know that George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, the Founding Fathers are under attack, which is, again, why my course on the Founding Fathers is timely. But what could stop all of this? I mean, this is a major question. We know that if you look at the American political system, there's nothing really to stop it there. Everyone put their faith in Donald Trump. Has Donald Trump really stopped anything? Or has it only gotten worse? Now, the left would say, it's only gotten, we're only getting worse because Donald Trump is such an evil guy. Well, it's just stupid. Donald Trump is vanilla in so many ways on many, many issues. I mean, he really is. He's not, he's not uh, someone who's an ideological um, traditionalist at all. I mean, Donald Trump has always been a chameleon. He's been able to fit in anywhere he goes. He was a darling of the left for a long time. Then he was a darling of the right. I mean, who knows what Donald Trump really even is. So there's no way the president is going to stop all this. Because this is systemic. The rot is systemic. It goes deeper than just the general government. The general government reflects it. But it goes deeper than that. When you have Nancy Pelosi taking down portraits of speakers of the House, the United States House of Representatives taking them out because... They had some connection to the Confederacy. This is ridiculously stupid. Those things had been there for, for decades. Nobody cared. Statues have to go. Things that have been there that hadn't hurt anybody. I mean, these things are benign. They really are benign. Symbols are benign. But yet they have to go because now there's a demand made for this. For what? I mean, it's a it's a it's a move of power. What kind of power can these people have over someone else and make them feel guilty to a point where they need to do these things? This is what it's really all about. So what could solve this? It can't be the presidency. Voting harder, voting Republican gets you nowhere. Well, we got to get it through the court system. Well, we see what the federal court system does. We see the Supreme Court is no ally to the right if you're on the right. I mean, it isn't. It won't ever be. Because the Supreme Court is institutionalized. The mere fact that the court is what it is today is a byproduct of nationalism, which is the enemy of everything good in America. Now, I've talked about nationalism on this podcast before, and some people get very upset when I talk about nationalism they, because they're nationalists, and they think that uh, nationalism is great. If we just had the right nationalists in there, everything would be good. No, because that's not how the United States was designed. It was never designed as a singular nation, a united state. And we know this because the founding generation made that clear. Again, another plug for my founding fathers course, because I get into that quite a bit there by giving you examples from the people who are in that generation who said these things. So we know that the founding generation did not think of the United State, not states, but state. They didn't call it the United State. They didn't call it the United Nation, or the American Nation. They didn't call it any of that stuff. Now, Lincoln, it's Lincoln that really started that process. I mean, 
anyone, again, who has studied this will recognize that the idea of an American nation really began in 1865 or 1861, whatever you want to say that, you know, if the South is out, well, you've got this American nation. But really, that was not an American nation. It was a New England nation that was being foisted on the rest of America. A friend of mine said it best. If you want to see what a New England nation looks like, just look at modern America. This is what the North wanted in 1861. And you see, what happens is, as you start looking at, well, if we can just, just control the reins of power, if we could just get in there, and control the government. We would be so much better off because we could make it the way we want. Well, Donald Trump wins in 2016, and the left goes berserk. I mean, the left, I will say this. If Donald Trump somehow wins again in 2020, I don't think you're ever, you're going to see Trump derangement syndromes, syndrome in a way that you've never seen it before. These people are going to go ballistic. They already are. They're already, they're already losing their minds. Which is why, as, as Clyde Wilson has said, about every, uh, every couple of generations, Yankees go nuts. I mean, this is what's happening. You have to live like them. And if they tell you you got to live like this, well, then you got to do it. I mean, it's the whole idea of wearing a mask and all these. It's all about power. It's about power at this point to make people do what you want them to do. So this is why the theme of my show has always been... Think locally, act locally. Because what can you really control? I can't control Donald Trump. I can't control the Congress. I can't control the Supreme Court. I can't control my. Uh, I can't control anything that's happening in North Dakota or California or Seattle, Washington. I can't control any of that, personally, from where I sit. It's not to say I don't, you know, have an opinion of these things if someone asks me, but I don't really think about them very much. I don't really think about what happens in Minnesota very much or what happens in Seattle, Washington very much. Now, if I live there, I would, but I don't think about it. And I won't live there, so there's that. But those are the things that, what, what can we control? Well, the first thing you can control, of course, is the home. You can control what happens in your home. And you can control what kind of information comes into your home. You can control what kind of things your children or you are exposed to in your own home. That's the first area. This is why, again, the founding generation is so interesting to me, and I talk about this in the class. A lot of these men considered their home to be their country, not, not their state, not their county. It was their home. That was their country. And I know the term that I use in that class is so non-PC. Their plantation was their country. <gasps> I just used a forbidden term now. Rhode Island is thinking about dropping Providence Plantations from the official state name because that can make people feel very uncomfortable. We live with a bunch of whiny crybabies. Uh, but the fact is, these people consider those areas, their homes, to be their country. And so they controlled those things. That was one thing you could control. It's one thing you can control. Even Aristotle, who... I mean, Aristotle's not under attack yet, but he will be because Aristotle talked about slavery quite a bit. He had very negative things to say about women. That guy is not woke, and he'll need to be taken down at some point. We already don't really teach Aristotle anymore. But, I mean, even mentioning him at some point would probably be illegal. It's a legal thought. So we've got Aristotle, who 
talks about this. The family, the, the smallest unit, is certainly the most important. And again, he's talking about patriarchy, which I know is, uh, I mean, that's, can't talk about that either. Patriarchy is bad. So you've got Aristotle talking about the small, and then you go out from there. I mean, so your home is first. This is why I say think locally, act locally. The most local thing you can think about is your home. Get your backyard under control. Control what goes in and out of your home. Control how you govern yourself, and then go from there. Then you've got your local government, your county government, your city government. People don't realize how important these governments are. And again, when you go back and look at the founding generation, you find that a lot of these men were involved in those governments more than anything else because they understood how important your local government and your county government were. You can do a lot with those governments. They affect your daily life more than you understand. Uh, From things as small as your trash pickup to what kind of information is going to be in your local schools if you do send your kids off to school. That's your local school board. Those are things you can control. Then you go to your state, which in many cases, in most cases in the United States, are the size of the entire United States in terms of population in 1790. Some cases much larger. So it's even more difficult to control the state because you have such diverse interests in your own state. And this is where you run into things like Virginia, where you've got sections of Virginia that are not very happy with the fact you've got Ralph Northam up there taking down Confederate monuments, calling for a ban on guns and all kinds of things. But you've got areas of the state, like around D.C., that are very much influenced by other people. So what do you do from there? And then you go out and you go to the United States. So then we're talking about larger scale, and that's when it gets really difficult. We've got discordant things. We've got incompatible things, as Governor Morris said in 1787, trying to be forced together. And the result in that is political violence and unhappiness. So what should we be doing, besides thinking locally and acting locally, in 2020, 2021, 2022, to try to change this particular system? Well, the left talked about secession quite a bit when Donald Trump was elected, but now because it seems like they're controlling things again, you don't hear it as much. You don't hear decentralization from the left as much when they're in power because in reality all they want is power. And the right is almost the same way. I mean, there still are dedicated decentralists on the right, but... Uh, Most people on the right, if Donald Trump's in office, we're good, right? Forget it. We're just going to go with it. But you see, this is the disease of nationalism. It's about power. And what people really need to do is reorient themselves and start thinking about things in a different way. And that would be decentralization. It would be, what can we do to try to make it to where we have peaceful relationships with the people who don't think like us. That's the most important thing. Because you see, we're heading for a really nasty period if we don't start figuring out how to get along or not be around people that don't think like us. Why is it that self-determination is somehow considered to be alien to the United States? The entire premise of the United States is self-determination. We celebrate secession every July 4th. We did not want to be part of the British Empire. We thought it would be better just to leave, to part ways, so that we could govern ourselves. And yet, now when you talk about that, that's treason. See how stupid these people really are? 
So I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about a book for a few minutes that's actually outlining this. It's a new book. It's been out a pretty short amount of time. Um, and it gets into this idea of decentralization. So I'll see you in just, uh, just about two minutes. I'll see you on the other side. See you then. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why, and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise, but it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll. And I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about thinking locally and acting locally and decentralization and what we can do in the future. Of all, this, this is an appeal to all Americans of every ideological stripe, whether you're on the left, the right, libertarian, conservative, I mean, progressive, whatever you are. The question I have for you is if you are supremely dedicated to this idea of, let's, a progressive. Progressives often talk about their liberty to do, their choice to do what they want. If that's the thing, if you don't want people to telling you what to do, why do you think it's in your power to tell other people what to do? You see, that's the question that everyone should ask. When their neighbor says, you need to take this down, take this monument down, it's offending me. Why? Why are you trying to, telling, trying to tell me what to do? I don't tell you what to do on your property or your, your house or whatever. Why are you telling me what to do with mine? Or, now, we get in these battles in the very local, and so this is where size and scale matters. Are our states even too big? Do we need to start thinking about splitting apart our states? Do we need to have the state of uh, Lee? I've talked about this before on the podcast. Maybe the people of West or the western part of Virginia need to form the state of Lee, and they take all these statues are taken down of Jackson and Lee, and they stick them up over there. And they can leave northern Virginia to northern Virginia. But you see, that won't happen because Virginia, you know, the, the way the Constitution is structured, they have to have permission from Virginia to do it, and Virginia won't do that. Uh, but it'd be great if they did. 
let's have people start talking about breaking apart these states. The Congress won't let it happen because that would create two new conservative senators, but they'd be more than happy to create two new liberal senators in Washington, D.C. You see, this is where the power comes in and where, at the end of the day, probably the best solution to all of this is political decentralization to a point where you don't have this strong central authority anymore. And the book I want to talk about is actually written by a George Mason professor named F.H. Buckley. Now, Buckley is a law professor. He's a Canadian. And he wrote this book about American division. And he actually said on book TV, on C-SPAN, I mean, they had him on talking about this thing. When he gets the Washington Post, every day he thinks, here's another article in favor of secession. And I want to read the, the preface to this particular book because it sets the stage for it. And I think he does. Look, I mean, I can quibble with some of his history, but the idea is important. He says, quote, this is a book about breakups, about how countries split apart and how the United States is ripe for secession. Across the world, established states have divided into two or are, star are staring down secession movements. Great Britain became a wee bit less great with Irish independence. And now the Scots seem to be rethinking the 1707 Act of Union. Czechoslovakia is no more, and the former Soviet Union is just that, former. Go down the list, and there are secession groups in nearly every country. And are we to think that almost alone in the world, we're immune from this? Countries threaten to split apart when their people seem hopelessly divided. I've seen it already. Before moving to the United States, I lived in a country just as divided, without the kind of fellow feeling required to hold people together. Canada was an admirably liberal country, and yet it came within a hair's breadth of secession. America is headed the same direction today, and without the reserve and innate conservatism that has permitted Canadians to shrug off differences. We're less united today than we were than we've been at any time since the Civil War, divided by politics, religion, and culture, in all ways, in all the ways that matter, save for the naked force of the law, we are already divided into two nations just as much as in the uh, period of 1861. The contempt for opponents, the Twitter mobs, online shaming and non-platforming, the growing tolerance of violence, it all suggests we'd be happier in separate countries. I mean, this is not true. I mean, this is, I think social media in so many ways has contributed to this, and, and it's, it's amplified everything exponentially. Because you have, as he mentions, Twitter mobs. People, I mean, look, if you're not on social media, who cares, right? And in many ways, I, look, for me, social media is, a, is an avenue to try to reach people to gain listeners in my audience or to sell product. Uh, but otherwise, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't use it. It's, uh, it's divisive, it's nasty, it's a gutter. And usually dominated by the left. That's enough to make secession seem attractive, but there's a second reason why secession beckons. We're overlarge, one of the biggest and most populous countries in the world. Smaller countries, as I'll show, are happier and less corrupt. They're less inclined to throw their weight around militarily, and they're freer. If there are advantages to bigness, the costs exceed the benefits. Bigness is badness. I mean, that's a wonderful statement. This is something that the Abbeville Institute and Don Livingston have been saying and Kirkpatrick Sale. These people have been saying for years. And I think that, uh, if my memory serves me correctly in this book, he cites Don Livingston quite a bit. Uh, we, the Abbeville Institute, did a, did a video on Is America Too Big years ago. 
talked about size and scale. This is, this is Hume's ideal republic. It has to be small and, and dispersed because that's the way Kirkpatrick sailed. The human scale has recognized and said it over and over again that the best states are the smallest states. He says, it might therefore seem odd that we've stayed together so long. If divorces are made in heaven, as Oscar Wilde remarked, how did we luck out? The answer, of course, is a civil war. The example of Secession 1.0 in 1861 with its 750,000 wartime deaths has made Secession 2.0 seem too painful to consider. This book will explore the comforting belief that it could happen again. The barriers to a breakup are far lower than most people would think, and if the voters in a state were determined to leave the Union, they could probably do so. To begin with, we're far more likely to let it happen today than we were in 1861. That's a point I'm not so certain about. I don't know if that's the case. Not when you have the neoconservatives running around saying secession is treason, the left essentially saying the same thing, I mean, Confederates are traitors. When you have that, it'd be very hard to see how this could actually, and the South in particular. Now, I will put a caveat to that. I think the North could pull it off. I think New England, a New England state, could pull it off. I think California could pull it off. In fact, the California independence movement, their position is that, why don't the rest of the states just vote us out? Why don't the conservative states vote us out? And think about that. California could be voted out by the conservative states. Well, then probably Oregon and Washington would go, and that would change the entire complexion of the United States in terms of the political nature of the United States. You would lose, you would lop off a tremendous number of uh, progressive-leaning Democrats. And, of course, that's going to change the complexity. It's going to change the nature of the Congress and the composition of the Congress. What's that? That's going to look entirely different. So for the right, if they voted California out, it would be something else. I don't think that a right-leaning state could pull it off because they would be tarred and feathered with all kinds of things, of racism, whatever it is. This is the only reason to do it, which we know is not true. But this is why I think that it has to happen on the left, not the right. John Kerry had a point when he said that Putin, by invading Crimea, was behaving as if it were in the 19th century. While the Secretary of State was mocked for what seemed like naivete, public attitudes have in fact changed since 1861. We are now less willing to take up arms in order to maintain the union and ready to accept breakup instead. Again, I don't know if that's true. Second, a cordial divorce might be worked out through the amending machinery of a convention held under Article 5 of the Constitution. If all the sections of America were good and tired of each other, secession cannot be unconstitutional when there's a constitutional way of making it happen through a constitutional convention. I think that's a pipe dream, but I mean, he's... This is possible, but I think a pipe dream. Finally, the Supreme Court might revisit its denial of a right of secession. First of all, they didn't deny it. This is, this is the dirty little secret of Texas v. White of 1869. There is no denial of secession. There's a denial of unilateral secession. But the Chase Court clearly said that if the rest of the United States said you're no longer in the Union, you could be booted out. And why did they do that? Because it's exactly what the Republican Party did to the southern states during Reconstruction. For four years, the South fought to leave the Union. They come back in the Union under Lincoln slash Johnson's Reconstruction Plan. The radical Republicans say, we're not treating them harsh enough. Boom, you're back out of the Union. We boot you out. You become a territory or a conquered province. So you're no longer in the Union. You're no longer a state. So what the Chase Court said is, that's legal. But leaving it yourself, that's not legal. 
Think about how stupid that actually is. But this is what they said. The originalists on the court recognized that the framers had thought the states had the right to secede, while the more politically-minded members of the court might hesitate before ruling secession illegal and permitting it the president to make war against the state. Instead, the court could be expected to look northward to the more nuanced view of secession rights taken by the Canadian Supreme Court, which rejected both an absolute right and an absolute bar to secession. Now, why did the Canadian courts do that? Because Judah P. Benjamin had a role as a barrister in kind of formulating Canadian law. So it's not difficult to imagine an American breakup. The reasons why a state might want to secede today are more compelling than at any time in recent history. Slavery isn't on the ballot, and there would be no undoing the civil rights revolution anywhere. Indeed, the states with the most active secession movements are progressive and want to escape from a federal government they think too conservative. Were secession to happen today, it would be politically correct. I do agree with him if a left state was to go. But if it's Alabama, oh my gosh, the army would be marched in in a second. And this is what Bill Bennett essentially said. If he can find one person who wants to stay in the United States, he's going to send the army in if he had his way. The neoconservative. So Buckley continues, so it might happen. I see us on a train bound for a breakup. The switches that might stop us have failed, and if we want to remain united, we must learn how to slow the engine. That will take things that have been in short supply lately. A greater tolerance for ideological differences, thicker skin to imagine slights, a deeper repository of confidence in and sympathy for our fellow Americans. These are things we used to have and can learn to have again if we recognize that the alternative is secession. Uh, There was a great fear in the founding generation about secession. They did worry about it, though they thought it was possible, entirely possible. This is why they had federalism, because they thought it could solve these differences. And Buckley addresses that in the next paragraph. Federalism used to allow for greater differences among the states, and that permitted us to sort our differences by settling among people with like beliefs. And while federalism was discredited when it sought to excuse racist Jim Crow laws in the South, we've left that world long behind. This is why I propose, as a solution to our divisions and an antidote to secession, a devolution of power to the states, not mere federalism, but an alternative that the British presented to the Continental Congress in 1778, after it had decided upon secession through the Declaration of Independence. I mean, he actually called the Declaration Secession. This is wonderful. It was what Gladstone and Charles Stuart Parnell saw as an alternative to Ireland's outright secession. The solution was home rule. If adopted in America, this would return more power to a seceding state than it possesses now or ever possessed under American federalism. So this is a concept, I mean, the home rule concept is that, you know, you still recognize the U.S. as sovereign, but basically you do everything you want. You have almost complete control over everything in your state, uh, but you do have, uh, I mean, there is the idea of defense and ultimately commerce, but these things have been discussed before. So he says, part one of this book will examine the case for a breakup as a solution to our deep social and political divisions split into two countries. We probably get along better with each other, and there are feasible ways in which this might happen. Part two will then look at secession as a cure for bigness. Smaller countries are happier, less corrupt, and better governed, and we're one of the biggest countries around. Finally, part three will discuss alternatives to outright secession. While that's a distinct possibility, this book is meant as a call to civility and a warning to those who seek to divide us. Before you criminalize honest policy differences, before you dox your ideological enemies and drive them from restaurants, remember that they have exit options. Now, I think Buckley is a little bit naive on what the left really wants. They don't want discourse. They want to dox you. They want to get you out, and they don't care if you leave. In fact, 
some of the mail they get, they don't care if I'm dead, right? So this is, this is where, I mean, these people are just completely nasty. We don't really think about, I don't think about them. I don't think about the left, what they want, what they want. I, mean, I don't care what they do in their own time. It's just, do they want to do something to me? This is where it gets to uh, a point where you are uh, driving towards violence. Not that I'm advocating that, but this is, what, this is what happens to people. They go crazy. In fact, I think that the tone of this book where he says we need to find peaceful solutions is 100% spot on. We need to find peaceful solutions to these things. We need to find a way to live and let live. The first chapter of the book, and this is great, it's great, page three, meet Don Livingston. He's a South Carolina native who taught philosophy at Emory University, a respected academic. He's the author of two well-regarded books on David Hume and an exceptional presence in Hume studies, according to a reviewer and leading philosophical journal. He's also a secessionist. Livingston isn't just a secessionist, mind you. He's also a Southern partisan. The first time I met him in Montreal, he was sporting stars and bar suspenders and wanted to talk about the Quebec independence movement. In 2003, he founded the Abbeville Institute, named after the birthplace of John C. Calhoun in South Carolina. The Abbeville Institute explores what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition. It's writers, customs, and songs. The Institute hosts a summer school for college and graduate students and on the Constitute of Writers' Secession and on all things that are wrong with Massachusetts. It's easy to dismiss all this as cranky tomfoolery. Since the Civil War, the idea of secession has been consigned to political loony bin, but there's, that's about to change, not just in the South. Among philosophers, secession is increasingly respectable. Before long, we'll hear our politicians take it up, too. Uh, so, they get into, he gets into the South. And he talks a lot about the South. Now, again, I can quibble with some of this, some of this history, but it doesn't matter. Um, I like this particular book because it gets into these things that are, were just 10 years ago, 20 years ago, forbidden topics. But we're talking about them now because, because uh, of the incompatible things, seemingly incompatible things. And I think the recent events in the last couple of months have just made this more clear. We need to find some way to have conversation, civil discourse. I'm not sure if the left really wants that right now. They're more interested in canceling and doxing and doing everything they can do to hurt people. But there are people on the left who are saying, oh, wait a second here. Maybe we're going a little too far. Maybe saying taking down George Washington isn't really that good or maybe blowing up Mount Rushmore, but you've got Washington Post and New York Times articles on it. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if that gentleman, uh, that gentleman's agreement is going to work. But home rule or something like that, if you could actually work this out, is a good idea. I'm not, I'm not certain, though. So I'd recommend getting this book by F.H. Buckley. The title of the book is, of course, American Secession, The Looming Threat. Let me, ah, let me close this out. The Looming Threat of a National Breakup, published in 2020 by Encounter Books, F.H. Buckley. Um, so get it. It's the Think Locally, Act Locally episode. It's on the weekend of American Secession. Self-determination is back in the news. We're talking about it again. And it's a good thing to talk about because 
we're trying to figure out how to deal with this new political climate of 2020. How do we work that out? How, we, how, do we, how do we work out our differences with people that don't think like us? Peacefully, which is the important thing to think about. But do it peacefully. How do we do that? Thinking locally, acting locally is, is one of the ways. And I would read this book by Buckley to get there. And that said, don't forget to get my new course on the Founding Fathers. They certainly understood federalism and other things as well and how to get along with differences in New England, the South, Mid-Atlantic states. They understood these things. So get that class on the Founding Fathers. Um, and I appreciate your support. One thing I will tell you, there is, and just to kind of wrap this up, there's a possibility that the Brian McClanahan Show will be expanding the number of days, but I'll have shorter episodes. So we're gonna, I'm going to see how this is going to work, some things I'm thinking about doing. Um, so we, you get me more than just once or twice a week. Um, you get the show more often, but just a little less time each show. So regardless... Um, send me your thoughts, shoot me your thoughts on, on podcast suggestions, episodes, what you think about more shows, but maybe 15 or 20 minutes instead of 30 or 40 minutes. And I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan show. See you then.